go to group, I want to share um, something that I, a story I read last night, and I wanted to share it with you. Um, let's see here. So today's message is especially challenging because it holds two applications that are, feel like they're this far apart. And one of them feels very unimportant in, in, because it's less urgent. And I'm mirroring this um, if you want to throw it on the screen. Um, this was a, a Twitter post that um, I saw by Sophia Lee. Sophia, I follow. She uh, used to write for World News Magazine. She still writes for somebody, I assume. But this is a story she had researched relation, in relation to the war in Ukraine. And I, I wanted to share this because it, it applies to something we're already doing, and yet, before we get too busy patting ourselves on the back, I just want to throw this out. I'm not throwing a challenge, but I think I'm just going to let God do with it what he wants. So here's what Sophia writes. She says, um, and this showed up last night. I don't know exactly. It's within the last 24 hours. I interviewed, uh, interviewed a pastor of a small Baptist church in, I think it's pronounced Kelm or Chelm, Poland, 30 minutes from the Ukrainian border. They were one of the first places to open doors to Ukrainian refugees. First day, 20 showed up. Women, kids, babies, people with disabilities. Day two, 120. Day three, 200. And they keep coming. This church has been hosting more than 200 refugees a day since Russia invaded Ukraine. It's a church of 80 members. Without full-time staff. The pastor and his wife take care of 11 foster kids, three with Down syndrome. That's normal. That's not, that's before. And now their church is one of two tran transit centers for refugees in Kelm. At first, the congregation was nervous. <laughs> you think? <laughs> they can barely pay their own bills. Can they take on 200 plus needy refugees a day? But they took a leap of faith. People in the neighborhood took notice, and they asked how they could help too. Now, you see God providing, using non-members, using <gasps> gasp unbelievers to help. Yes, God often uses those in the harvest to reach the harvest. But I digress. They asked how they can help too. Together, they provide more than 350 hot meals a day. This has never happened, the pastor told me. For years, he has been trying to invite his neighbors to church. Now these neighbors are blowing up his phone, begging to come to church to help. His congregation is at the church building twice a day, cooking, cleaning, serving. Pastor says he's in awe. He sees his church in a completely new light now. God changed us in two weeks. He woke us up from our safe, comfortable lives. This is in Poland. Now we know more about what it means to be the body of Christ. Amen to that. Of course, he's exhausted. It's only been about two weeks and the needs don't cease. His little church is learning to be more strategic, to think long-term instead of short-term crisis. But the pastor is also pumped. God is doing something and he gets to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it. Or he gets to, he says, he gets to be a part of it. And isn't that something? And then she tells you how you can support this church if you want to help them. I just felt like that was important for us all to hear. Um, kids included, those who work with our kids. 
Um, we really appreciate you and we miss you when you're back there with them and yet we wouldn't want you anywhere else because those kids need you too. So let's pray. Lord God, as we uh, turn to a sermon where we oftentimes focus on what does this mean to me? What can I get out of this message? Lord, we wanna pause and just take a moment to think about our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, whether they live in Ukraine or Russia or Poland or wherever they live and the challenges that they face are oftentimes much more than we face. And, and many times we just have to throw up our hands and go, I just can't relate. And that's okay, unless we don't even try. And so Lord, I pray that we would take a moment and lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, just in the silence of these few seconds. Lord, as we lift up the church of Jesus Christ around the world, it is our prayer and our desire that you would meet needs through provision, through protection, through healing, through encouragement, rescuing people physically and spiritually from all that goes after them. And Lord, we pray that for us too, for the churches of America, but Lord, Help us keep our eyes from being so riveted on ourselves that we can't see beyond ourselves and miss all that you're doing around the world. We pray for peace around the world. We know that that prayer will be answered one day. We know that. But Lord, we pray for it today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Our kids, you can go. And uh, the rest of us get out our Bibles, and if you'll go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Um, this week, most of the verses are going to be on the screen from the back, but I have a, cu a couple of images I'm, I'm going to show you at some point. Um, So, let's see. All right. Colossians 3 is where we're going to be. Last week, um, we talked about family. <laughs> Sometimes family cries, don't they? That's right. We praise God for that child because, you know what? If it was real quiet and we were happy that it was real quiet, it might mean there's no children here. So, we praise God for the children even when they're crying. And praise God for you even when you're crying. And me, we are, we're getting near the end here of Colossians. I don't think I've told y'all what's, what's coming next. Um, Easter Sunday, we'll start a new series, and we'll start going through the rest of the book of Matthew. We have done chapters one and two. We did that over Christmas. We did chapter eight late last year. And we did uh, chapters five and six the year before, and so we're going to tie up the loose ends and finish the book of Matthew out starting in chapter three. So if you want to be reading ahead, I encourage you to do that. Um, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty awesome account of the life of Jesus and the birth of the church, well, leading up to the birth of the church. And that Jesus, in the context of the book of Colossians, has risen, okay? So the book of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John is before the resurrection. It happens at the end, 
spoiler alert. <laughs> Colossians, along with the book of Acts and all the other letters, pick up after the resurrection. Okay, they all start in the 40s and they keep going. All right, so um, we're gonna kinda go back in time a little bit when we get to that, even though they were written after some of these letters that we read. So there's two timelines in scripture. There's the timeline of how things happened, and then there's the timeline of how they were written about. And the Bible writes about history, and you know, it writes in looking back and telling the story. And so those two timelines get very confusing when you try to teach them. Just ask my students, they were like, I don't understand. <laughs> So here's the topic today. Today, I could have titled this sermon two ways. I could have said, how to thrive at work, how to thrive at your job and your career and your vocation. And most of us could relate to that. Even students, their job is to get good grades until they get the job their, their grades will support, right? Even if you're a stay-at-home mom, you have jobs to do, right? And it might be raising kids, it might be a side hustle, it might be a combination of things. But I also could have titled it, How to Thrive as a Slave. And here's the challenge there. I, I don't know anybody that's owned a slave. They exist today. 40, 40 billion, not million, sorry, 40 million est estimated in our world today are enslaved. Now, that's a lot, but it's less than there were in the times of, G in the days of Jesus when there were 60 million just in the Roman Empire. So it's really, it's kind of, on one hand, it's kind of hard for me to go, oh, let's talk about our jobs and how we can thrive at work when there's people enslaved in our world. How can I ignore that? And I'm not going to ignore that. At the same time, our jobs is where we spend most of our waking hours. It feels kind of important to talk about what scripture says about that. And the principles for slaves is appropriate for workers. And the principles for masters of slaves is appropriate for owners or bosses or, or employers. So we're gonna try to do both. And I'm just going to ask for a lot of grace here because honestly, don't know how this is going to shake out. I'm trusting the Lord to guide that, that process. So let me give you a little bit of um, the slavery context first. Then I'm going to transition to work. I'm going to focus on that as we go through, and then I'm going to wrap it up, try to wrap up both. So let me, um, let's, let's start with this. Um, let me just show you where there's, slavery in the world today. Okay, so I'm going to put this on the screen. This is a map um, that shows roughly the, where the bulk of slavery is in, in the world today. The darker colors are the more intense, where there's more slavery, okay? So you can see in West Africa, a lot of Africa is still enslaved, and, and a lot of that slavery is in Africa, okay? And then you have India and, this, and Pakistan, and I think that's Bangladesh there, and some more Southeast Asia countries, and then Russia, and, and then the rest of the world. It's lighter, but unless you're in Greenland or Antarctica, I think there's slavery everywhere. Okay? Um, and a lot of that is very... Um, it, it's very... Well, it's all insidious in nature. Um, I mean... I, 
if you want to, it's kind of hard for us to, you know, we hear the statistics and we think about this. It's really hard to think about how does this really touch us. Um, but I know from hearing the stories and meeting some of the people, Chris and Amy tell a story about when they're in Uganda and they will, some of the girls they know there will talk about the opportunity to work in Dubai. And, and this sounds too good to be kind of true kind of thing. And how they had to help them realize that they're trying to bait you to come and bait and switch, okay, yeah, you're going to work all right, and you're gonna, but you've got to pay off your expenses to get there at an interest rate of like 2,000%, something crazy, so, and, and effectively enslaving yourself without even realizing it. In, in Southeast Asia, it happens a lot where a child will be, will be kidnapped. Actually, the way they'll, they'll kidnap them, sometimes just straight up take them. Sometimes they'll go to a village where they're really poor and they'll talk to the parents and, and the parents are like desperate for money and they're like, let us take one of your children with us. We'll help them get a job, help them make money. They can send it back. And they'll believe them and they'll take this child, young, and without papers, take them to a city or a village or a, a country where they don't know where they are. They don't know where they were because they didn't really didn't know the name of the place. And then even if they escape, they don't know where to go to reconnect with wherever they were. And, and most of this fuels the sex industry worldwide. Human trafficking is, is there's for a lot of reasons, but that's the biggest, the most lucrative, the best ROI, if you want to look at it economically, which is what drives this. The demand for people willing to pay for that. Okay? So that's real in our world. That's happening. Okay? Forget history for a moment. And there was lots of bad history on this. It's still happening. And so I would encourage you, if this moves you in, uh, to go further with that, I would encourage you to pursue that, to learn more what you can about human trafficking today. Okay? Paul is writing to uh, 2,000 years ago. He's writing to the Roman Empire. 60 million slaves, 50% of the population. country is 300 and, I don't know, 30 million people. Um, can you imagine if half our nation was enslaved? I mean, that'd be, okay, there was a time when it wasn't, I don't know if it was that high, but it was very, very high and obviously had a huge impact on society before and because of or through the war, okay, because, because it's a horrible, wicked institutional we're still dealing with the scars. We're still dealing with the, the consequences of those, those actions. Okay, so when Paul's writing this letter to the church in Colossae, it bothers people that he doesn't mention or say slavery is wrong. Okay? He doesn't come out and say, let all your slaves free or, or create, start a revolution, but he starts a revolution through his letters. Why? Because the point of the spear is not a campaign against slavery. The point of the spear is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what truly sets people free. That's how Paul can write the letter to the Colossians from prison as a free man. Because he truly understands, I'm behind bars, but I am free. Nobody can lock me up, really. Okay? And, and, and that's important for you and I to understand because when we start to apply the principles, it's not unusual for people to be in a job and feel trapped, okay? 
And I, I use the military as an example a lot because when you commit to the military, it's a big deal to get out because it's really hard to get out. They're like consequences that follow you the rest of your life if you get out in a way that's not what you would wish, you know, not, not a good way. So, and, and, and as it should be, I imagine, for the, there's nothing wrong with that because nobody's kidnapping people and putting them in the military. There is such a thing called the draft, but we haven't had that in a while, and I get that too. But people are voluntarily signing up to be in the, in the military, and um, they get paid, and they get you know, room and board, and all the, all the benefits that go with that, because they put their lives at great risk. And the, those that are leading that have to obviously be able to tell somebody what to do and expect them to do it. It's an order, you do it. Sorry, no questions asked. You don't get to think sometimes, you just do. Okay, so while that's not slavery, it's much more slavery than if I want to go get a job at, at McDonald's and if I don't like it, I can quit and the consequences are minimal. Okay, so um, there's that. All right, now while I'm here, I want to segue to the lighter subject of our work, but let's keep in the back of our minds the slavery piece and I'm going to refer to it because we need to understand what scripture said then to them so that when we apply it to here and now, we don't change what it meant, okay? Scripture can never mean today what it didn't mean back then. That's a, that's a basic hermeneutical principle of um, interpretation. You can't change what it means. You can apply it differently or appropriately because of your context, but Scripture principles are timeless, okay? They transcend time, they transcend culture, and that, therefore, we can lift the principles out of that historical moment in time, drop them into our time, and they apply, they work. If they don't, then they're not a principle. They're, they're just something that happened. Okay? So, um, yesterday, I got to take my, I don't know if this is working or not, I got to take my son for a little ride, uh, my son, my grandson, it's not working, um, I thought it might, it might still be trying. In, in a wagon, I took him with a ride in the wagon. We got our grandson for the weekend for the first time. Oh, there he is. And that's Lincoln, and he's 14 months old. And you can see the wagon is not your typical red, red what is it, radio flyer, red wagon. This was actually a horse and buggy cut down to be a child's wagon for my dad. That would have been in the 30s. Okay? And we still have it, and... Believe it or not, that's him saying, please, more. <laughs> I was asked, do you want to stop? It was cold yesterday. And so that's, that wagon was in my garage when I was growing up. And we would take that green bed off and we would get to the top of a hill and man, that thing will get going. So one of the things my brother and I did when we, um, sorry, let me turn that off. One of the things we did with that was we did the infamous lemonade stand, right? And it was much brighter and cleaner looking back then. And we, we went to the kitchen and got the lemonade and, and used all the stuff that my parents had and took it out and tried to make money, right? So we got this. And the wagon was quite the conversation piece. People would stop and ask about the wagon. You know, is it for sale? Um, you know, that's a really cool wagon. And no, just do you want to buy this overpriced lemonade is really what we were trying to do, sell lemonade. We were, we were trying to, you know, make a killing for doing nothing using our parents' supplies and everything. And we did it for, you know, an hour or two, and then we did what every other kid did. We went off and played and realized we weren't going to make any money. Um, 
But most of us are working at something today, right? You're, you've got an official job, like where you have to like pay taxes directly out of. Some of us have side hustles. Some of us have the, the most challenging jobs, like raising kids. Maybe you're raising grandkids, you know. Um, there's, some of you are students, and believe it or not, that is a job. It is a job to succeed in school so that you can have a better chance at succeeding at whatever career path you choose. Some of you volunteer, and that's your work. You, you give of your time and of your energy to pour into something. Work is, is, is given to us by God, okay? It starts before sin entered the world. Those verses on Genesis that were read, Genesis 2.15, it says Adam's job was to take care of, cultivate and nurture, care for the, the earth. That was before Eve was in the picture, his job. Then when you go, but if you look back at the end of chapter one, because these were written, it's like rewrite and then rewrite, Uh, We have Adam and Eve, and together their job is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule it, okay? And if you think that that's kind of funny, that to be fruitful and multiply is a job, raise a family, and you will understand that that is work. Um, It's a package deal. So work comes from God, and it was a good thing from the very beginning, It has been, like everything else in our world, corrupted by the fall, chapter 3 of Genesis. The fall of man, the humanity giving in to our our, uh, temptations and sinning, led us to, uh, to a world where everything that was good is now corrupted. But it still has value. Okay, So when we talk about work, that's going to be one of the things that's going to come out of this. Um, So let's let's go to Colossians 3, and let's just work through some of these things. Okay, um, just a couple of things on uh, the Roman Empire slavery. One is there were 60 million slaves, like I said. Uh, a, a Roman who owned slaves didn't do work, not um, anything that he didn't want to do. So his slaves did everything he wanted them to do, cook, clean, even tutor the kids, um, teach, teach. Uh, they take care of the animals, any of the tasks that needed to happen for the job, for the, their business, their family business, they would handle. Even, um, even doctors were oftentimes slaves. Okay? Now, and so the, the Roman men were the ones that were benefactors of all this because the women, they were not treated much better than slaves, but they were diff- it was a different category. And while slaves on paper had rights, practically speaking, they didn't have really any rights. Um, when, um, and I'm, I'm not going to give you all the different names of people who a quote, these quotes came from, but some of them, they called slaves living tools. One guy categorized all farm tools as articulate, not articulate, or mute. So you can imagine the mute, that's like a, a shovel. Uh, inarticulate, that's like a cow, and the articulate was a slave. One guy, um, or one Roman lawyer said, when you buy a new farm, the first thing you do is you kill all the old slaves because they're all broken tools, meaning they just take resources. They don't really do much. And uh, acknowledging that you can get kind of attached to some of those as they age and don't realize that they're really not. Pre- slaves are treated like property. Let's just, that's what it was. They weren't treated well. Um, some of us treat our tools in our toolbox better than they treated people. Okay. That's just the way it was. These slaves came from a variety of different sources. Some were brought in because of the spoils of war, conquered people. 
Some didn't pay their debts and got in out of, they got in debt so deep they couldn't get out. And so this is how they had to work it off. And I imagine the interest rate was very high to make that last very long. And other, other circumstances, if you were born into a slave family, then guess what? You're born in a slave. You get to be a slave too. So there was a lot of this. It was a horrible institution. It's, I mean, still is. And it was, but it was extremely common and accepted. And this little tiny sect of, uh, of Judaism called Christianity of started with 120 people, this little group of people, um, their mission was not to change and get rid of slavery, which is why they didn't talk about it. Their mission was to make disciples. And while that may not sound as exciting or as important, I would say it's more important because it leads to the kind of revolution that moves people like William Wilberforce to spend 20 years of his life, it might have been 40, I think it's 20 years of his life fighting slavery in England and eventually leading to the emancipation of slaves and the end of the slave trade in England. Okay, And it, it actually ended it in the Roman Empire at some point, and of course it keeps springing back up in different places, but the point is that the gospel has the, the, mind, the mental truth that is required for someone to justify, why would I give up this, this cheap labor that can make me all kinds of money and make my life easier? Why would I give that up? Okay, because there's a creator and you're not him and you will be held accountable. And here are the other reasons for that too. There's lots of reasons for that because God designed us to be free. And he made a way for us to be free despite the fact we're born into, uh, we're born enslaved to sin. And you see the spiritual parallels there all the way through. We're all enslaved to sin until we're freed. And how does a slave get freed? Someone rescues them. Someone that, someone risks their life to save that person's life. And even though that person's life is not very valuable in the eyes of some, in God's eyes, their life is precious. Okay, so this is kind of where we're going. Okay, so let's read through this passage and then let me just break it down. There's basically two points in the passage, one from the perspective of the slave and one from the perspective of the slave owner or the master. And, and our parallel today is, you would say, from the perspective of the employee or the worker and the perspective of the owner or the boss or the employer, okay? So that's, we're, we're kind of preaching two, it feels like it, to me we're preaching two sermons at once, which I have enough trouble with one, so help me. All right, here we go. Um, verse 22, starting in chapter 3, verse 22. Slaves, so we're, we, Paul's writing to slaves, okay? What slaves is he writing to? He's writing to Christians. He's writing to slaves who have become Christians, Okay, they, they're hanging around with their masters, their masters listening to uh, uh, Paul preach or someone preach, and the slave's here hearing it too. He's got a brain too. He's hearing this and he's going, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, male nor female. Are you kidding me? We're, look around, hello, there's gross inequity. But Paul's saying there's no favoritism in God's eyes. All are equal at the foot of the cross. All are treasured, all people are treasured, because Christ died for all people. Slaves, and then the very next thing he says is, obey your master, right? Obey your earthly master in everything. 
And we're kind of looking at that going, Paul, whose side are you on, right? I mean, it's real easy to go scratch your head and go, um, you really didn't have to say that, did you, Paul? Why did you say that? And it's like, well, there's a bigger principle at play. There's more at work here than this. Because I'm trying to teach you how to react and relate to the authorities over you and over me, he says. So he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And then he starts to give rationale behind that and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor but with sincerity of heart so he starts to he starts to raise he puts this bar and then he keeps raising the bar so he says first of all obey your earthly masters whoa 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 i'm a christian aren't i free in christ yes you're free in christ you're just not free in rome yet okay and maybe you feel that way in your job i'm free in christ but i can't get out of this job to save my life and he says this And do it not only when their eyes are on you, but to curry their favor. Now, I'm sure you're not like this, but I can remember growing up doing yard work. And my yard work varied depending on if the owner was at the house or not. Because if they're there, they're looking out the window. And they're checking to see how well I do. Because I don't want to have to do it again. And so I do it, do it quickly before they got home so that I didn't have to do quite as good a job because I was a lazy kid. And, and that's kind of what's going on here is that as a slave, you can justify going, well, I'm not giving them any more than I have to, doing the least amount possible because I don't deserve this and they don't deserve me. And, and many of us would go, yeah, I'm with you, I agree. But, but see, Paul says, no, no, the Lord wants you to actually behave differently. Because if the fact that you are free in Christ, okay, I want you to love your neighbor, even love your enemy. And if you're a slave, your master is your enemy. At least that's the way you're going to think, unless Christ changes that. Not only is there, there when their eyes on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart. So this is not just on the outside. This is you've got to want to. Sincerity of heart. And reverence for the Lord. Drop the mic, kind of. You're right. When you say, you know, fear the Lord, revere the Lord, it's like, what a, wow, that's the sledgehammer. Paul does not wait long to bring it out. He's like, if you say he's Lord of all, then let him be Lord of all, including your life as a slave. Now, I don't know what your work situation is like, but I imagine that some of you are not crazy about it. I was going to share some statistics I'm not going to do, but basically, a lot of people left their jobs in the last two years. Let's just quick show of hands. How many of you actually changed jobs in the last two years? At least once. Anybody? Okay. The percentages are really high outside the room. You guys are in really good situations apparently, or you're just not there yet. Uh, 47 million people are part of what they're calling the great resignation, have left their jobs and are not going back. Now, some were forced out, but they've chosen not to go back. Okay. Now, some of this they think is people doing side hustles instead of going back to corporate America. Um, they're just, it's not worth it. They're not being recognized for their talents. They're not getting paid enough. They're not getting a work schedule that works for them anymore. Now that the work schedule needs to be more hybrid, which employers don't like, employees do like. And so there's all of that going on that's contributing to this. With sincerity of heart, and reverence for the Lord. Now, if I stopped there, that would be enough reason for you and I to not only expect, for, for you and I to be in the kind of employee that would, do, that would be the best employee I could be because of who I am in Christ. But Paul does not stop. Verse 23, he broadens the scope. Whatever you do, 
Okay, so this is your job, this is your life. Everything you do, wherever you live, work, and play, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Remember the heart in the New Testament is where the seat of our emotions live, it's where our thinking lives, and it's where our will derives from, okay? What we choose to do, okay? All of that is from this place that we call the heart, this metaphorical explanation that we kind of call this is kind of who I am work at it with all of that with all that you are and then he further clarifies it by saying as if you're working for the Lord Jesus himself not for other masters now I guarantee you as a kid if I believed that I would have done my yards differently because I wouldn't have been working for the person that was paying me. I would have been working for the Lord Jesus. And I owe him my life and nothing less. This is why Paul will say, I am a slave to Christ. Paul willingly confesses and gladly submits to say, I want to obey Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want to not just receive him as Savior. I want to obey him as Lord because he is worthy of that. He deserves that. Okay? Now that's easy for me to say it is not easy to live I don't have to tell you that it's not easy for me either even when I want to because the flesh battles that happen verse 24 he continues so not for human masters and then he gives you some more reasons since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward it is the Lord Christ you are serving so now he goes from the heavy hammer side of things he swings and goes there's some good stuff that comes out of this too the lord is going to bless you okay that part of that the best is yet to come is that there are rewards that await there are things in the in in the future that will never end where we will receive blessings because of what we did with what he gave us here and now there's a whole second judgment that is for christians I think that's uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we read. I'm going to read it again. The first judgment is whether you're a believer or not, okay? And I can't remember which judgment seat. There's the Bema. I think that's the Bema. And the other one's the great white throne. Christians just kind of cruise right on by the first throne because our name's written in the book of life, and so he's like, take, stay, just take a right and keep going. Um, the, that to the second th- judgment. And that's this one that 2 Corinthians 5, 10 is about. And it says, um, for we, Paul's writing to Christians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Here's why. So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And he's going to also allude to that here in Colossians. We're going to get a reward. In other words, we're going to get what we deserve and then some good or bad. So I may be saved, but if I waste what God has given me, then there's going to be a negative reward. And if I use that for good, there's going to be a positive reward. Okay. So some, you know, you heard the expression getting in by the skin of your teeth. Okay. That's, there's no skin on our teeth. You realize that's really thin. So it's just like I get in, but man, it's like my pants are on fire. It was so close. <laughs> okay? And I get in, but I've got nothing to give Jesus now. There's no crown. There's no jewels. There's nothing. I've got nothing. I truly got in, and I didn't deserve it. Now, none of us deserve getting in. 
But when we take what God has given us and we begin to invest it in the kingdom, then God begins to pile up treasures that we will then get to use in eternity. And, and folks, you're not going to take your treasures and go build a house. You're not going to do that. You're going to want to do the one thing that you, that you can do now, but, you're gonna, but you can do it there perfectly, and that is you're going to want to give to Jesus. And you're going to have the best you could give him right there if you've, if you've generated some positive rewards. And if not, you're going to be empty-handed. You're still going to be full of joy because you're in heaven and his presence forever, and that's awesome, but you will miss out on the ability to give him something other than the rest of your life, which that's not to be, not, that's not nothing, right? Okay, so since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Here's, here, that's Paul emphasizing the lordship of Christ, okay? Jesus is our savior, yay. He's not just our savior. He is our Lord. This is why we are supposed to, we're called to count the cost before you trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25 continues this mindset. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There's the other side of 2 Corinthians 5.10. And there are, there's no favoritism, okay? So God's not going to go, oh, you Americans, I'm going to give you a little extra. Because, you know, red, white, and blue, you know. Sorry, none of that. So that all is geared towards slaves. Now, we can, again, we have trouble relating to slaves, but employees we can relate to. Okay, some of us are employees, we're not the boss in many cases. Some of you are both. Some of you have a boss and you are a boss. And you feel this probably more sympathetically. But if you're like the boss, then you're, you're going to see things differently than if you're just a cog in the wheel. <laughs> you know, you're brand new and, and you're learning the job and nobody reports to you. <laughs> and it's probably a good thing, right? So there's, there's those, but as, a, as an employee, God is calling you to be the best employee. Okay, let's just read back through it real quick. How does this feel as an employee? Okay, just imagine it's your first day and you're working at, let's just say you're working at Kohl's. Okay, Kohl's department store. All right, and uh, you, you, you pretty much all day you just work with inventory and you occasionally a customer will bother you that's your perspective because you, you've got things to do and I don't need to help I don't know where anything is anyway and so that's your job all day this is how he says he says Cole employee obey your boss in everything and do it not only when they're watching but when they're not with a sincere heart fearing the Lord have a nice day whatever you do at Cole's while you're working on the clock Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for your boss who hates your guts. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, which is way away and you're so young, you're not even thinking about dying. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Yeah, right. I heard that in church once. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Oh, my uh, conscience has been pricked. So you see, this is kind of, you can see how it applies to us as an employee, okay? Now, now let's flip, the char let's flip this thing now. Let's go to the employers, to the bosses, to the owners, and in this case, to the masters of slaves, who were ultimate authorities in their lives. Masters. Remember now, who is he writing to? What masters? Paul is writing to masters who have become Christians, 
which created some real awkwardness in church. Hey, there's that new believer who's got 14 slaves. Hey, pass the plate. Right? That's really awkward. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right. I wonder if they let them be members if they had slaves. They did. Why? Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Boy, that would fly in the face of Roman culture. They wouldn't even say treat your wife that way or your kids. They're just short slaves. Right and fair. Then he continues. Here's why you do that, masters. Because you know that you also have, hello, a master in heaven. What did he just say? You and your slave master are both mine in Christ. I am master of both of you. Son, daughter, wow. So when you're cleaning up dishes at the Panera Bread and you're ticked at your boss who's a believer and you're a believer, but you're judging them because they're a horrible boss and as a Christian, they should be so much better at what they do than what they are doing. And so you find a way and you hide dirty plates under the seats because you're just ticked at them and you just want to get them back. You see, this verse is is sobering for all of it. all of these verses. It's like, is that how you would do it if Jesus were your boss? Is that how you would treat your employees if you were Jesus and they were your brothers and sisters in Christ? You feel the tension, right? And so what do we tend to think about? When we think about jobs in our careers, we tend to think about, I got to get paid more and I want to work less so that I can retire and take care of my family and on and on and on. It's all about us. And once in a while we might go, oh, and so I can give. Sometimes that's in there, right? And, and God's like, you know what? It's not about what job you do. Some of this, this is where some of the others are, especially if you're young. What am I going to do in my career? Oh, and we anguish and we grieve and we struggle over. What am I going to do for a living? I remember doing this over and over and over. You know, what's the right job? What's the right career path? And God's like, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Because the journey is more important than what job you work. Because the work is just the context in which you get to know me and find out what it's like to truly surrender to your ultimate authority. So this is terribly challenging. We thought family was hard. And he just widened the scope And he never once says slavery is wrong. Let's flip to Ephesians real quick. And let's just see how he handled it there. I won't expound much. I just want you to hear it because it's, Ephesians is another letter written about the same time and a lot of the same topics. It's more comprehensive. Therefore, it's more detailed. Let's see, Instructions for Christian Living, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6. It talks about children. And then it talks about slaves starting in verse 5. I'm sorry in the back. I did not give them a heads up. Um, I didn't plan to do this. So verse, chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, okay, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, I love that word, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you whatever 
good they do, whether they are slave or free, whether you are employed, employee or employer. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Christian bosses ought to be the best bosses on the planet. Okay? And you don't have to serve barbecue to do that, but man, that really helps. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. He is not looking down on you going, you're such a great boss. I just, oh man, I'm just going to give you an extra corner of heaven because you, you're just, your, your employees are just, they should just be falling all over themselves. He doesn't do that. He, he holds us all, the ground, as the expression goes, the cliche, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And you and I stand right there next to people like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and all these other imperfect leaders in history that people revere and talk about. Yeah, we stand right next to them and they're right next to us. So you can see why this was a challenge. And I hope that you can apply this and see that this is for you and me today, but it might not be for you and me today just about our jobs. It also might be, what are we going to do about slavery that still exists in our world? And it might be that God is tapping someone in here on the shoulder and saying, I need some help in that category. Could you begin to do some research and start digging and finding out that human trafficking needs to end. And the reason isn't because it's about human trafficking. The reason is because the gospel's for all nations, not just this nation. And this isn't the only nation that needs to be free of slavery. Not that we are. But we're a whole lot closer than, than in the past. But there are other nations that are really struggling with that. And there are, there are awesome Christian ministries that are doing a great work in that specifically. But the church is a part of it too. The church of Jesus Christ is trying to set people free from sin and death, shame and guilt, hell itself, and from slavery. Will you and I just talk about it, or will we do something about it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I was a sinner, and you set me free. I was enslaved to sin and powerless to do anything but give in to the temptations that rolled my way. And you set me free. You cut the bonds that, that tripped me up and kept me powerless. And you gave me freedom to serve. Freedom to serve you and to serve people. To love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love my neighbor as myself because I want to. You empowered me. You empowered all your people and while we have lots of reasons not to act on that, we have no excuses. We have um, all kinds of reasons we would throw up to say, yeah, I don't have time, I don't have the energy, I don't have the health, I don't have the money, I don't have the relational capital, I don't know who to talk to. We have our excuses all in a row. We're used to using them. Lord, I pray that we would just surrender today you may be surrendering uh, Lord we might need to surrender you today because of something that you've been tapping on our shoulder about for years it has nothing to do with this message Lord I pray that we would be open today to that that we would remember that what we were singing about the cross 
remembering the cross, that's what directs our lives. That's what causes us to live gratefully, selflessly, sacrificially, extravagantly generous. Lord, we confess that we are not living that way. We're comfortable. Our lives require just a little faith. And Lord, we know deep down that's not what pleases you. You want us to live with the kind of faith that it can only be explained by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a radical way to live. It's unpopular. It's not politically correct. It's contentious. It's challenging. It's crazy, fear, scary. And it's the way to true life. It fleshes out the life you've given us to live, that you freed us to live. And you want us to free others. So Lord, I pray that you would help us maybe wake up uh, to what it is that you called us to that's so much better than what we're settling for. So much better. May we not settle anymore. Lord, as we celebrate your, your, your crucifixion and resurrection through the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would help us put the pieces together in our heads. Why you said, remember, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. Remember what I did for you. That you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he'd do it again, but he doesn't have to. May we lean into that. May we embrace the cross and carry it ourselves. If anyone come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That means we die to self. Lord, I don't want to do that. Flesh is willing, but the spirit is willing, but the flesh is incredibly weak. Help me crucify the flesh that I might live as the spirit leads. And for those who don't know you, may they realize that with a thought they can know you. With a thought that says, I believe. A thought that says, I believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. That's how I get to daddy. That's how I get to my creator. That's who saved me, and that's how I get to him. I say, I believe, and I rush to him. May we all believe that our daddy has his arms open wide to receive us back, whether it's the first time or the millionth time. His arms are waiting. In Christ's name, amen.